Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of the, as I say in the interview, one of the sweetest guys I've ever met in Hollywood or any town, my good, good buddy, Jonah Ray. Uh, Jonah is uh, 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 someone from comedy, you know, Hidden America, uh, Mystery Science Theater, 3000. He's living the dream and part of that. More on all that in just a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me emails and I will... Uh, well, let's be honest, probably not be able to get back to you in the near future. But if you have something that needs to be discussed on the show, you can send stuff into there for that. You can also, you know, send me the emails there, you know, but uh, it's, it's been kind of nuts. That's why this show's very, very late. Uh, if you need to get in touch with me in the immediate, though, you can head over to Twitter. Uh, you can send me messages there or Instagram, at Damien on all that. I'm also on Snapchat, I think, at the same place. If you need to get in touch with me through Facebook, there's a Turned Out of Punk Facebook page run by my brother, Tristan Abraham, and uh, also long-suffering trying to get these episodes up in the past couple weeks. So I appreciate that, Tristan. But you can send him messages through that Facebook page. If you don't use Facebook and you want to see some of the cool stuff that gets sent into the show that we post up on that Facebook page, you can head over to Tumblr, where there is a Turned Out of Punk Tumblr page, where we post up uh, some of that stuff that gets sent into the Facebook page for those non-Facebook users out there like myself. Anyway, uh, on to today's show. Today on the show, uh, well, I guess we should get into why the show is very late first. Uh, the show is very late because I've been working on this new project. Now, I've kind of been hinting at it for a little while and saying that things were going to get kind of busy. Yeah, that's what's kind of happened. So that's why this podcast is very late. That's why there hasn't been any oil and flowers. That's why there hasn't been any footnotes for a while. That's why there hasn't been any clobbering time for a while. Because I've got real busy working on this new uh, wrestling thing that I'm doing. So I'm going all over the place, kind of working on this thing. Um, it means this podcast is probably going to be, you know, I'm going to try and get it all on time. I'm going to work ahead now and try and leave a bunch. And so we can always go to like a backup episode if I'm late and stuff. Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be traveling a lot. And it's uh, it means that this thing's going to be uh, kind of late sometimes. Kind of. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to work really hard at trying to keep it uh, on time. Uh, I apologize to all of you because I know how frustrating it is when you rely on a podcast to be there for you and it's not there. Trust me. I know what it feels like. Um, but, you know, please understand that this right now is a very hectic time. And I'm just trying to get to that kind of, you know, equilibrium, that where I can kind of balance everything. But I'm not there yet. And unfortunately, this podcast is the one that's suffering the most right now. Uh, and you, by extension, the listener, is suffering too. But I assure you, I have amazing ones all lined up. And as I get to them, they're going to get better and better and better and better on being on time. Um, and the content is just going to stay continuously awesome because <laughs> as this week is any indication, I got some fire fire in the tank still. So I appreciate you all bearing with me in the interim. And I promise you, I am working on something that is going to blow. Oh my God, it's going to blow your mind. Cause it's blowing my mind. 
the stuff I'm seeing on this thing is is blowing my mind, and that's not just because of wrestling. It's because of like, oh shit, oh shit. Yeah, you got it. It's gonna be awesome. I can't wait to show you. I can't wait to tell you all about it when it when it starts uh, coming out in the near future. But until that point, I appreciate you bearing with me on this podcast. Speaking of this podcast, this week on the show, my good buddy Jonah Ray. Now Jonah is someone that I got to meet. Well, working on another project that still hasn't come out, but <laughs> more on that hopefully in the near future as well. Uh, he's someone that I became friends with uh, because he's awesome. He's a really cool guy. Uh, I knew he was into punk. Uh, getting to talk to him while working on this project, I found out how really into punk he was, and I had to have him on the show. Uh, we finally got a chance to kind of make schedules work because he's busy right now working on a – a multitude of projects. Hidden America, which is uh, out right now. The second season's just come out. An absolutely hilarious show that he's involved in. And then also coming out, Mystery Science Theater, the, the, they're bringing it back. <laughs> Jonah's living the dream and, and being a part of it. So, you know, I can't wait to see that. There's obviously, you know, a, a, a whole generation of us that were mystery science theater fans and had our lives changed by that show. And so the fact that it's coming back with a fan like Jonah involved in it is awesome. And I can't wait to, you know, watch it. So this is going to be uh, a bit of a uh, departure though, from all that stuff, because we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about Jonah's past in punk. And Jonah is one of those people that's been in an unbelievable amount of punk bands that are Awesome. Uh, tune in this week to Footnotes. Footnotes will be back this week. We're going to have an episode because hopefully we will be able to talk about the multitude of incredible bands that Jonah Ray was in. And it kind of goes to my theory that all these comedy drummers we've had on have played in nothing but incredible bands. Like all of them from Worcester to Craig Ferguson and now our pal Jonah Ray. So he gets in all these bands on the show. I'm not going to dither on too much longer because I got a lot of stuff to do because <laughs> I'm only back for a short period of time before I have to head back out on the road. Um, but, hey, I really appreciate it once again, you bearing with us here. And uh, here is my pal, Jonah Ray, on Turned Out a Punk. Jonah, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and do this, buddy. Oh, no. Thanks for having me. Oh, no. I, as I was telling you off air, like, you're one of the first people, like, when I started this thing that I actually, like, reached out to. Because I, I didn't know about your deep-cut, hardcore kid past uh, <laughs> until recently. I just, you know, in, I just knew you as this guy in comedy. And then, well, recently, when I found out, when I started this podcast, that you did have this punk past, I reached out to you, but it was on Twitter, and I'm sure it was lost in a sea of tweets. But oh, man, I, I, did, I had no idea. No, well, hey, don't worry, because now we have connected, and that's, that's all that matters. Yeah, do you know, do you remember when we first met? Well, we've, we've talked about this before, but let's go over it again. No, I, and I didn't remember at the time, so. Yeah, it was, it, was at, uh, it was at South by Southwest. Yeah. And we were both getting free stuff at some uh, – <laughs> Something and you were, I remember you were like, you were really excited about some free shoes you got. <laughs> Probably sounds like me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sounds like a pre breaking straight edge manic episode from Damien Abraham that you were <laughs> having to witness. So. <laughs> it was, yeah. And it was, I think it was the, uh, it was the don't mess with Texas thing, the thing that Sean 
Carlson yep. Yep. was doing. Because we like we ran to, to each other, and then when I saw you over there, and then um, and then I saw I saw you guys play because I've always been a big fan, which is awesome. And then, uh, it's, yeah, I mean it's it's like great, great, great hardcore music. But then, no, uh, I mean I, I didn't mean my band is awesome. I meant that you like my band is awesome. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't looking for uh, you to say why my band, but yeah, I really well, do appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, of course. But th- I remember uh, that is also the night uh, that uh, No Effects was playing. Oh, and and I was a later day No Effects fan. I hated them growing up. I did not like them uh, oh. be, because it's what all the jocks uh, that listen to punk listen to. That's all. Aw- I cannot wait to get into this in a second. But let's continue <laughs> on with your story. Um, but uh, but like you know, I got into them later, and then like uh, I had like you know an all access badge, uh, so I was able to watch them from behind this like the the back of the stage. Yeah, and um, me and Brian Posehn were there uh, watching because we just got done like the, right before them was uh, was Municipal Waste. Yeah, and so uh, of course Posehn was there, and so we're watching No Effects, and um, he like it's like it's real violent like there's no security so the stage hands are the are like anytime anyone gets on stage or near the band the state their stage hands just start kicking the shit out of uh anyone who goes near any of the guys and yeah. it's amazing uh, that you notice that too because that's my standout memory is like i remember i think it was like el jefe's guitar tech full-on like jujitsu fighting a guy that got on stage like just yeah like, beating the shit out of him it was crazy. It was really violent and so it made violent. it fun. And you could tell it was bumming no effects out. Yeah. Because they're just like, this is the last thing we want. I mean, this is, you know, the band that had a seven is called Fuck the Kids. Like, this is the last thing they want is to be touched. <laughs> yes. Um, Definitely. And, and so, Especially by and, no effects fans, which are kind of like the juggalos of the epithet yeah. scene. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's hard. You know, it's. It's hard to not blame a band for their fans, uh, yes. but that's you know, kind of what I did for so long. But anyway, so Brian turns to me and he's like, uh, "He's like, I'll give you one hundred dollars if you stage dive." <laughs> and I kind of like I was I was you know broke at the time, and uh, I was just kind of like I was like, "Oh, a hundred bucks that sounds great, but that's so dangerous. I'm too big to stage dive. I'm like you know six five, and I was just kind of like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'll bump somebody out when I hit them, and then like." And I'll, like, I'll just fall down and hurt myself. And then, like, uh, he goes, uh, I'll give you $200. <laughs> and I said, okay. And so, um, so like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm seeing all these people get punched, their hair pulled and dragged and kicked <laughs> off the stage. I was like, and it's even people, like, that are coming from the sides, you know. <laughs> and so I was kind of like, I was like, I don't know if I should do it. Then they start calling, uh, then they start playing Don't Call Me White. And then, like, a huge rush of people, like, go towards the stage. So it's, like, nice and tightly packed up front. And I was like, well, that's enough. I think I can land on that. So uh, I remember, like, I was, like, standing there. And then I was next to your bass player. I can't remember her name. Sandy. I was next to Sandy. And I, like, I look, I look over at her. And then uh, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to go jump. And she's like, yeah. And then I take my glasses off uh, <laughs> and put them in my pocket and then start running. And I think i really cool. Uh, and then, like, I feel like someone grabbed my shirt, and I let out, like, a huge scream going, no! <laughs> and then I feel in my memory that I jumped real far, and then I landed on the crowd, and then I quickly, like, funk, like, right to the ground, and then got up, and then when found Brian, he's like, that was awesome. 
Uh, did he pay you that Sarah Silverman money that he's throwing around so liberally? He, he did. He, no, he actually he specifically mentioned that it was just shoot me money. Oh, just shoot uh, me money. He's still spending just shoot me money. He hasn't even yeah. talked about that Sarah Silverman. <laughs> um, and, and so, like you know, like he gives me the money the next day at the airport, and uh, and so we're uh, I, like about a year goes by, and then like I was just kind of like looking around at videos. Um, like at South by Southwest. And I noticed like someone had posted a video. They're like, uh, no effects that mess with Texas. And I was like, Oh my God, I wonder, I wonder if I can find the video of me stage diving. So I went through the clips <laughs> and I, I see me running from the behind the stage. I see a guy grab me. I see, I see what looks like a, a horrible Yelp. Uh, and then I basically, it looks like I just fall into the crowd. It doesn't even look like I jumped at all. I just like I just kind of want into the crowd and anyway yeah that was that was when we met that was the year you and I met that's my that is also my favorite South by Southwest too I've like very spotty memories about that entire weekend unfortunately because yeah. of the anti-anxiety pills that I was on pre-discovering Yeesh. cannabis but mm-hmm. uh it was uh but the, I like the darts that I do remember little bits and pieces are like amazing like standing beside Dan Yemen singing along to no effects like Things that probably might have been drug induced. Now that I think about it, and talk about it loud. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, that was that was great. I remember like I went to a, I saw Hatebreed. I saw yeah, Hatebreed. Oh, that's right. Hatebreed played like a Monster Energy Drink show. Yeah. Then, oh, that's right. That was the best South by South year. Yeah, so was Zombie Fav like had some crazy shows? Yeah. while they were there, and yeah, and I did comedy with like you know. Janine Garofalo and yep. a bunch of my heroes. It was it was a great time. Yeah, and uh, that's also the year that like uh, yeah, it was it was also that was the year that all the comedy stuff because it was like yourself were there, all the Human Giant people were there because that, yeah. that was just happening at the same time and like yeah, exactly disease and, then, uh, and and like it was yeah like everything was kind of like bubbling up that year. It felt like yeah, I remember like uh, Scott Ackerman and BJ Porter were still part comedy partners and they were putting on a comedy show and then. I think David Cross had a show yeah. that year that I, I did. It, it was nuts. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, this is not about uh, when we've made it. This is about like, <laughs> the climb to that point. <laughs> We're trying to find out about how we got here. Uh, and trust me, Jonah, the way this podcast moves, we will probably be up to this point that we're talking about in like four episodes from now. Uh, so <laughs> we got to get cracking on this first step. Sound, whatever you need to do, it's your show, baby. Well, I tell you, this is like there's a lot of coming, bec- a lot, a lot to come to this episode because, like, you know, I, you know, I always thought of you as, you know, now that I've met you, you're like, you know the nicest guy in Hollywood, like in my experience, I know a lot, I've met a lot of people in that town, but you're like one of the sweetest people I've met. And and we've only hung out like twice in real life, but I really got like, you know, you're just such like a nice person, but then to find out that you are also at the center of one of the most fascinating non shows that ever happened to me, the quicksand experience in Hawaii. (laughs) I knew we had to make this podcast happen too sweet. Oh man, yeah. So, so you brought it up to Walter. Oh yes, we will get there, my friend. Hopefully, in this episode, <laughs> if not in part two. But Jonah, before we do, let's start way back at the beginning, which is how did you get into punk, my friend? Do you remember the first time you came across the genre? Um, yeah, I mean, I slid into it like a lot of guys my age through, uh, you know, in that time during Nirvana coming out and. Um, and just the 
you know, becoming obsessed with Nirvana and then trying to, and every time Kurt would talk about, um, like another band, uh, like my friend Donald, who I owe all of my punk rock credibility to, <laughs> um, you know, cause we were, we, me, him and my brother were all, we all got into Metallica and Megadeth and Sepultura and Slayer. And then, and then, you know, like, uh, with, uh, with Nirvana coming out, I was like, Oh, this, this is awesome. And then, so like, uh, Donald just like had this penchant for like digging. He was always like digging into finding out more about the stuff we all liked. And so he was the one that kind of like, it's like, Oh, Kurt Cobain talked about black flag. Let's see what black flags all about. That's <laughs> like, you know, um, and, and just kind of like finding out about all those bands and finding out about straight edge, which was also really rad, uh, because of, just the idea, like when we found us found Straight Edge, it was perfect because we didn't want to do drugs or drink anyway. Mm-hmm. But now we had a cool way of talking about it, <laughs> yeah, a logo and a brand. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny because like it, it, we talked about this has come up on the show a lot because obviously, yeah, like you say, Nirvana is such a gateway for so many people in, into this genre, like including myself, ultimately too. Um, it, it's like, but it's almost like a choose your own adventure. Like it depends which path you took because you could get into like you know, the beat happening through Nirvana or you get into showing oh, yeah. through Nirvana, but like you guys, it seems like you took that the almost like the hardcore path from Nirvana. Yeah. And I think it's because we were already listening to Metallica, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, Metallica was my first concert for the black album, uh, tour. Well, where was and, that? Uh, that was at the Blaisdell arena in Honolulu. Oh, who did you remember like much about who opened for them? Do you remember who was on the tour? It was it was a band. It wasn't a it wasn't a package tour. It was just Metallica headlining. The opening band was a band called Oh man, what were they called? Uh, oh man, they suck so bad. They were a band from <laughs> they were from Maui. They were I remember they were a band from Maui. They were a local band, and I never heard of them before or since. And they got uh, Metallica opening slot on that tour. Yeah, well, just on that show. Yeah, but still, that's like a – I imagine that would be like a huge get for a band yeah. to get. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. God, I can't remember their name. I remember it was like Derivative. It was like the name – I want to say Battery, but I know that wasn't it. I know okay. that wasn't. <laughs> but that would have been awesome if the band Battery be awesome. had opened up, though. <laughs> that would be so good. Oh, that's my dream but, Metallica bill you just put together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's uh, because we're you know into metal, we like the the harder stuff, and we all got into playing instruments because of Metallica. Um, and you know, when you're young and you're starting out, like you know, I always liked playing drums. I was always like making my own little drum sets out of cardboard and pots and pans, and and then uh, I was able to get a drum set. Um, and then my brother got into playing guitar, uh, and then my friend Donald like wanted to play bass, and so it's like, but you know, Metallica is so talented. Mm-hmm. That it's like, you know, how are you ever going to play any of this stuff? Um, and then when Nirvana comes along and this, and the, you know, it, it's, it's that thing that's so great about punk rock is that it's this attainable thing. It's this thing where it's, it's just, uh, the, uh, the, the, the walls are kind of broken down with like how it's closer to you than any other music. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so, and it's like, it's the idea of like, oh, I can, I can do this. Look, I can see where their hands are going. I can, I can figure this out as opposed to like Metallica, which is just, you know, shredding and most metal. It's, you know, it's like, oh, I'll never get there. Where did the metal, like, where did your like kind of interest in metal? Is it through your friend Donald or is it through like skateboarding or where did you, where, why, like why metal of, of all genres? I think it was, um, 
I, you know, I believe it was like a friend of my brother's named Keani. I mean, it's, it's so hard to say, uh, like, where stuff comes from, just all of a sudden, yeah. like you're a kid and you're into it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and uh, it's like, and I also like my favorite, one of my favorite Beatles songs was like "Come Together," and it's like that that drum beat. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's kind of heavy and like you know and, and chuggy, and then you hear you know then you hear Black Sabbath, and you're like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of like that. It's kind of chuggy, and and then you kind of just follow the thing that you know peaks. It's so it's I, I always think it's like you can't really choose it. It's um. It's like that scene in The Jerk where, you know, the, uh, like he starts hearing that, uh, that music from St. Louis and like he's like, this is, this speaks to me. Yeah. Uh, so I guess like, like your Metallica is like your jerk like moment where you find like the band that first really speaks to you. And like, I guess like where do you kind of go? You know, like once you're into Nirvana, like actually before I get to that, what was it like as far as bands coming to there? Like how often do big touring acts at that point come to uh, Maui or Hawaii or where, where are you living? Honolulu? I was living in Honolulu, which is on Oahu. Okay. Uh, Oahu, yeah. I mean, I was living in Kailua, which is like the suburban uh, windward side of the island. Um You know, it's, they didn't come a lot. That yeah. was also like, you know, and now there was always that yearning and then you always wanted bands to come and if a band did come, you appreciated it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when we found out the high school in our town had punk shows, it was this guy, Josh Benton was putting on punk shows at, at the cafeteria, um, like uh, every few months, um, at night. It was like, there was a stage, it was a huge, it was a huge room. And like, you know, um, and then, you know, like he started putting on shows there. And so like, Stri- he brought Strife to town. Strife played. Oh wow! Eleven thirty four. You know, I remember like Civ uh, played, but they they played a, a, a they played a, a twenty one and over place, so no one could go. Uh, um, and it was just it was just kind of like you know you you started realizing like the music you were seeing on TV was available to you in a in a way in your own town mm-hmm. and, and like to find it was, that was like the fucking crazy aha moment was like, it's like, wait, we could just go and see like, you know, we could see bands here. Like we don't have to wait for someone to come to town. I mean, you know, it's like because of it, the surf culture, you know, Pennywise would come to town and, you know, uh, no effects would come to town. Uh, gutter mouth is like, but like, you know, that stuff didn't interest us as much as like, you know, wanting, you know, Dillinger Four, Scared to Chaka, or yeah. uh, you know, stuff like that to come so, to town. So, what was your first like after you? You know, you went Metallica was your first show, but after you kind of got made aware of like Black Flag and all this and Straight Edge, what was your first kind of punk show? Or were you, would you go to a punk show or a local show even before before that awakening? Uh, no, I mean, like it's like we kind of started getting into it, and then it was just like, hey, let's go. I mean, we started going to like any kind of time a band would come that was any sort of place near punk, we would go to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mighty Mighty Boston's, we'd go see them. Um, yeah. Mephiscopheles, uh, you know, it's any, because you just like wanted to go see shows. You wanted to see, you know, Social Distortion came a lot, so we'd go see them. Um, but like, you know, the, the coolest part is local bands would open up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you got guys like, uh, the band Grapefruit or Unit 101 or Tweaked uh, mm-hmm. or the Sticklers. And, like, these are guys that, like, you know, you go, oh, man, they, these are local bands. Where else do they play? And then you find, you know, so we kind of quickly just found the scene and just started, like, once we found scene, we were obsessed. We went to every show we could find uh, and just kind of become became 
completely enamored with being a part of it. And it's also, it's, you know, it's that kind of cliche thing, but I didn't like anybody at school. I didn't get along with anyone at school. Um, I hated everybody for the most part, uh, cause they all sucked. Uh, <laughs> and then you, you go to this place where you feel like an adult, yeah. you know, you're still hanging out with kids, but you're also hanging out with guys that are, you know, I'm like, you know, 14, uh, but I'm hanging out with, you know, guys that are you know, 17, 18, 21, 25. Mm-hmm. And they're, and everyone's talking to each other at the same level. And, and so you're talking to these adults and you're like, you're like, just talk about music. You're talking about shared interests. And then you go back to school the next day and you know, everyone's talking about like, uh, like, oh, we got so baked at Derek's house last night. Like, it's, you, you kind of go, wait, oh, that's, uh, what are you guys are fucking hanging out with kids? You fucking idiots. Yeah, it's it's this weird Neverland where like they're like you know I think back to it now and I'm like what do I, what would I think of my six when my my kid's 16 years old and he's like hanging out with like a 40 year old going to concerts yeah. with them and it's like <laughs> completely cool and like not weird but like at the same time it's like oh but this is just like a kid hanging out with an adult that doesn't yeah anywhere a butt punk. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, you know, it's a, it's kind of an equalizer. Yeah. It really, you know, everyone, it's all, just all the weirdos. And in, in Hawaii, the, the scene in Hawaii is so, it's diverse, um, because there's not enough people. I remember when I first came to Los Angeles, some guy was like, yeah, I used to kind of be in the punk scene, but now I'm in the hardcore scene. And I was like, there's two different scenes for that. <laughs> you know, in Hawaii, you go like, it's like, you know, the opening band is, you know, uh, like a riot girl band. Then there's a ska band and yeah. there's a, you know, a hardcore band. And then there's like a, a pop punk band. Mm-hmm. But well, uh, LA is yeah. like the one place where like, yeah, there's every type of punk possible is almost represented there. And it's almost all seemingly has like its own collection of bands. And yeah, can support itself. It's, it's really nuts. Uh, I mean, you know, it's that when I uh, Los Punks, that great documentary Los Punks, mm-hmm. and I was just like, "This has been happening the whole time, and I don't know it." <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, well, that's like you know. I remember when that band Union Thirteen came out. That was like my first awareness. Like, oh, there's this like, whole unrecorded history of incredible LA punk bands that, like, you know, there's a little bit of crossover early but like this whole east la latino punk scene Mm -hmm. that has been just you know ignored by a lot and also like you know also willingly kind of like you know kept to itself you know by choice too and a lot of change with some of these bands but like it's this amazing scene that just existed the whole time yeah and you know it's kind of how i felt about when i moved out here and i was just like you know, I was living in San Pedro with all the Recess Records people, like, mm-hmm. you know, like the FYP Toys That Kill. Um, and it was just like, it was like such a very specific South Bay, uh, Los Angeles scene, very insular. And this was the crowd. And then like you'd go over to Coos Cafe and then there was like, oh, here's the Orange County kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you go, you know, it's to a show in Azusa. You're like, oh, this is, these are these kids. Like it was so odd to me. Like growing up, I was used to seeing the same people at every single show. Yeah. Well, you kind of mentioned a couple of those bands there. And the only band you talked about that I've, I kind of heard of was Grapefruit. Um, but there were like yeah. unit, what was the other band? Unit something? Unit 101. I mean, none of these, none of these other bands I mentioned ever made it out. Grapefruit is like one of the only bands that ever went on tour. Um, yeah. Like I remember seeing the, their ads the in Max Rock and Roll, I think. Yeah. And, you know, because they were on a uh, second guest records, I think, which mm-hmm. put out the Invalids and other kind of pop punk and stuff like that. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and they, just because they went on tour, they, you know, they met a lot of people and they kind of, uh, 
they you know they were a band that kind of you know tried mm-hmm. a lot of bands in Hawaii don't try because that's the thing about Hawaii man it's that you're you're already there you're already in Hawaii <laughs> yeah so why are you going to really try to do anything <laughs> at all you're in the place that people dream of ending up yeah that's true <laughs> and so that that's that like laid back island style that everyone always kind of refers to it's just it's like yeah you're here what what's the rush <laughs> yeah that's right well i guess we're gonna have to find out why you left paradise to get to uh the urban jungle that is los angeles well you know get being in being into punk playing in bands you know just uh it's also you know like when you're when when you're playing in bands in, in Hawaii, it's like your bands kind of cycle out really quick because people, uh, you know, graduate and then move away. Mm-hmm. And then in our, in our, in our heads, the bands were specific to the group of friends that were in it. So when a friend leaves, that band no longer exists. It's like that band's done. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not doing that band anymore. You can, you're not going to get someone else to join the band because that's, that feels wrong because it's, it's like replacing a friend. And so, you know, we, I cycled through so many bands from the ages of uh, 14 to uh, 19, you so, know, I was, yeah. What was your first band called? Do you remember? Um, my first band to play shows uh, was a band that I joined called uh, God, Our Dictator. Okay. Uh, <laughs> G-O-D. Awesome. G-O-D. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, it was a band that was around um, – before and I was like playing in bands, but none of us were able to play shows. We didn't like ever get our shit together enough to play shows. Uh, uh, and so we, I, I joined God, our dictator. It was crazy because it was like it was these older guys from the scene that like saw me. I put on a punk show at my house in my garage, and I had like all my favorite bands play. And like uh, afterwards, I kind of just got on the set because it was a real nice drum set. And like I went on and played. And the guy Rolo, um, like the guy who was the drummer, like he was like, "Hey, yeah, play it, man! It's your birthday." And that's how I I played and I kind of jammed on this like amazing drum set. And then I get a call from one of the guys from another band going, "Hey, man, you're a really good drummer. Do you want to join our band?" I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and I told all my friends, they're like, "What the fuck? That's crazy! Those guys are like fucking eighteen years old." <laughs> um, and so I I, I played a, a couple shows with them. Those are my first shows. Um, and then like, like from that meeting, a bunch more guys that book shows, I was like, we, all my other bands started playing shows. So like there was God, our dictator. And then I was in a, like kind of a punk pop punk band called the year outs. Okay. Um, and we had songs about home alone. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's actually funny. Cause, uh, we recorded, that was the first band I recorded with. And I used one of the songs for an episode of, uh, hidden America. <laughs> Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, I just I needed like a punk <laughs> song, and I you know there was nothing that was like hitting me on the sound library we were using, uh, so I just used my band from when I was fifteen. That's so, you know, awesome. Every, yeah, there there's a really cool moment in a uh, in the book uh, "Born Standing Up" that Steve Martin wrote, where he's talking to Johnny Carson, and Johnny Carson like did like a thing where he drummed and then did like a Bugs Bunny impression and then like a magic trick, and then like they go to commercial and he turns to he turns to uh, Steve Martin and says, uh, you'll use everything you've ever learned. <laughs> uh, kind of like, that's how I feel like when I'm putting together stuff. I go, ah, you know, I can, it's like, I, I know how to do all this stuff. So I'll just, you know, incorporate it into what I'm doing. But anyway, so that was the year out. So then I, then uh, we started, a, a, you know, then the singer, uh, his dad was in the military. So he got, he moved. So that band was done. And then the, the next band was uh, a, a hardcore straight edge band. Um, 
called 36 Chambers. Oh, and was the Wu Tang reference? Obviously, I guess or? it was. It was actually it was uh, it was a it was a kung fu movie reference. Yeah, okay, well, that was where they it was got almost it from simultaneous. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was it was almost simultaneous yeah. where we didn't realize it because uh, like, <laughs> it was just around. It was like the same year, I think. Um, and so yeah, and so you know we we just it was like real thrashy. Um, some songs sounded like botch songs. That's also a nice uh, little Hawaiian hardcore. Uh, claim to fame. Uh, Brian from uh, uh, from Botch was uh, from my town in Kailua. Oh, awesome! Yeah, and also uh, two guys from uh, the two guys that started a uh, Trail of Dead went to my high school. I mean, years before I was there. But uh, when I when I told them, I saw them at, uh, in L.A. and I was like, "Hey, I'm from Hawaii. I went to Kalaheo High." And the guy was like, "Cool, man." <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, it's awesome when that happens. I've I've experienced it too. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Why isn't this cooler to you? But it, my friend, my friend uh, said that happened to him. Like uh, he met Michelle Obama, and they're from like they're from the same block in Chicago, the South Side of Chicago. He's like, hey, I'm from blah 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 blah, and she's she's like she's like that's nice. <laughs> it's just nothing. Oh, that's fantastic. So yeah, like I I guess it's um. It, you know, like it, it seems like being from Hawaii is a lot like being from Canada, where anyone you know that's done anything in music from there, you kind of can tell and point out immediately. Like every Canadian knows exactly who in the music industry is from Canada. <laughs> well, that's the thing. There's not too many from Hawaii. It's mm-hmm. uh, there. It's a, it's real rare to to get out of there and and do something. Um, yeah, there was this kid, Kevin Kevin Titty. He's, uh, I didn't know him in Hawaii, but he's from Hawaii. He's a punk kid in Hawaii. Now he's doing comedy out in DC and he's really funny. And like, uh, and he's like, a, he's in like cool bands and that's kind of neat that it's, you know, it's still happening. It's always nice because yeah. it's like, you want to, he's younger than me. So I want to like help him out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, that, that kind of, uh, that not a, not a mentor, but like, you know, you just got to look out for the, you got to look out for the little use. Exactly. I've always felt. <laughs> well, and it, it's funny because like you say, like there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's like a a bunch of bands. It seems like from the era that you're talking about, and then I think of like you know the Squids and the Flying Fucking A Heads, and sort of that first wave. But there's not like I can't think of too many bands like in the mid '80s and like the the late '80s and into the early '90s. No, not at all. I mean, it just I I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it like the you know the scene has always just kind of been its own very insular thing and. There's, you know, there's no money in it, so it's like, and it's just mainly younger kids, so it's like no recordings are ever that good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there was a band, the Petty Fords. They they got on a uh, shoot, it might have been a Canadian label, but I, I might have been somewhere else. But it was called Whoa Records. Okay, like, right. um, it, you know, they it was just a pop punk label, and it was, you know, it was rare. Like, and then like a local band, the Sticklers, did a, a tour. They did a split seven inch with the Kung Fu Monkeys out of New York. Um, it's, it's just, it's Hawaii. It's yeah. nothing really, nothing really pops out there. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, you know, and even like, it's like, it's, it's, it's more diverse now uh, within the music scene. I remember there was this guy, uh, that was the bands he was bringing out were like unwound and he brought out, uh, sea and cake oh, and, wow. and he brought out, uh, microphones and he was bringing out like weird stuff, but no one cared. Mm-hmm. Because it's mainly kids that just want to mosh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that kind of dictates the kind of stuff that gets popular in Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, or did when I was growing up. 
And, you know, you need it to sound like if you were going to have a lot of fans, you're going to have to sound like a fat records band because yeah. that's what that would bring in the, you know, the, the bigger crowds or you were going to have to kind of have ska elements to your things, your, your music. So people could skank. It was, it's, uh, it's, it's not the, you know, there's a buddy of mine I went to high school with. Uh, she's, uh, her name's Irie Love. She's a reggae and R&B singer now. And uh, she kind of take she's stopping performing because Hawaii doesn't really Hawaii doesn't embrace um, music the way that other places. It's like you know um, they they don't uh, cultivate local artists mm-hmm. like uh, other places. You know, it's uh, everyone expects you to play for free mm-hmm. because you're a friend. Like, wait, hey, why you gotta what? Why pay? Come on, just do it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I'll give you free drinks. It's like it's uh, that's very much the mentality there. So it's uh, if for bands that are still doing it, it's it's not sustainable um, as a full time thing. It's only sustainable as the hobby. So like when when a band like No Effects or Pennywise would come, like a band that did kind of like play to the the, the taste of the local you know market. What how many people would be out to see a band like that versus like oh. a local show? Oh, I mean, it was like probably. Uh, well, I'd say um, eight times as many people. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's just because it's a uh, there's there's military mm-hmm. there's military guys that would come out for those shows. Um, because a lot a lot of military on the island, and then um, and then you would also see uh, like there would just be a lot of um, just surfer guys because they knew these bands because they would be on surf videos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And you know they like they love Brohim from Pennywise. They love it, you know. <laughs> and and you would have these opening bands, uh, and then they'd be like, "Hey, you know, if there's a local scene here. If you guys like this kind of music, there's shows all the time." And like <laughs> no one, no one gave a shit. And it, you know, every once in a while, you know, you get some surfer bros to show up, and they want to mosh and in a in a way that's not really conducive to. Uh, there was a crew. There was a kind of a gang, punk gang, uh, like these oi guys called the Brown Boys bunch of kind of local dudes that all dressed real great um and if like they would kind of regulate uh anytime there was kind of <laughs> outsiders so if like military guys came and started kind of moshing a bit more violent than was necessary the brown boys would be there and really just fuck them up and it was it kind of it kept the scene pure but it kept it small yeah <laughs> i guess there's not a lot of uh but you know Maybe it's for the best. I don't know at that point. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But, you know, I got – like I said, like I got exposed to so many different types of things because, yeah. uh, you know, there was like there was this like group of girls and they always had some new kind of riot girl band. And it was so – and like they were the only ones doing it. And that was great. You, knew, you know, when they were had a band, it was going to be interesting and different from everything else. And that was what we tried to do too. Like after the hardcore, the straightest, thrashy hardcore band, which was probably the most popular band I had growing up. Uh, but only Did because – Did that like, band record? Sorry? Wait. Did we, did we record for Thursday Streamers? Yeah, 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 yeah. We did, we did. It sounds crappy, but it's like you know, it's a nice, it's nice to have a document. Did that come out or just a demo tape type thing? Or no, we just re- recorded it in the hopes. Like it's like that's the thing. It's like you kind of you think you'll put it out like on a CD or something yeah. like that. You print, yeah. you print yourself. Um, but no, no, no label is going to pick up a band from Hawaii because the band from Hawaii can't tour. They can't just go and play around. They can't drive up to another city. It's a you know, it's like a bare minimum to go on a tour for a band in Hawaii. That's thousands and thousands of dollars just to get the band and equipment to the mainland. Yeah. 
I, I booked a tour for uh, one of my last bands, Quarterhead, which was like, you know, us trying to do Drive Like Jehu and Captain Beefheart, you know. <laughs> that band sounds uh, awesome, by the way. It was, it was, it was, you know, we were, we, were, we were trying to be like weirder, weirder than anything else, but it was, uh, it was, you know, like I, I was the most affable member, so they said I had to, uh, I had to book the tour. <laughs> and it, like, it, uh, the phone bill was insane because I would like call a record store in a town. And uh, and be like, hey, who puts on shows in your town? And then they'd say, call this guy, and I call that guy, and it's just you know, you know, thousand dollar phone bill right <laughs> yeah. there, just trying yeah. to put together the tour. And then uh, just you know, it was a it was a terrible tour, but we did meet like a lot of great people. Well, you mentioned earlier like these punk shows that were kind of coming through. That that's prior to you kind of doing that last tour, right? Like Strife and all those bands coming through. Yeah, all those shows were yeah, like early on. Like um, you know, Strife came to town. H two O came twice because they were going to they were going to Japan a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so H two O stopped by twice, and uh, I got I I uh, picked them up from the airport one of the times, um, and they were they were very nice. I I also you know just uh, I'm trying to remember Discount came to town. That was a great show. Yep. Um. Right before I left, it started getting a little better. Like I remember, like the year I left, like Manor Astro Man came to town, and Q and not uh, Q and not you, and XBXRX. Like, I was just like, oh god damn it! <laughs> well, like yeah, because like you mentioned, you know, like when these bands came to town, would you like you know you picked up a show from the airport? Would would you like? Because they're just there to hang out, I imagine, right? Like a lot of bands I know that would go to Hawaii would try and make sure they had a couple days off on both ends. Would you just like? hang out with these bands and show them around? Cause I know that's yeah. happened with quicksand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was like my friend, Raph Dongan, who now is like, he's playing some like hardcore metal bands up in Portland. Um, he, he's uh, like, he was kind of putting on shows. He kind of like uh, made friends with a Japanese promoter and kind of just started like being like, Hey, if like, you know, if they want to stop off in Hawaii, um, I'll put on shows for them. So uh, I remember one time, Battery was supposed to come and it got canceled and H2O came and that worked out. Um, and then uh, uh, Better Than a Thousand was supposed to come. Um, and they, the, something happened in Japan where they like two guys got like deported because of like some kind of a, uh, some kind of quarantine thing. Like one of them was sick and they're like, yeah, you can't be in this country. Yeah, so I, they, think, I think the story that I remember hearing is that Ray sneezed. And yes, they were like, get, no, yeah, get out of here. Get out. So, so Ray Capo and um, a dude from dude from Battery who was playing with them, I think at the time, they came and like there was no show and there was like nothing set up for them to stay. So uh, they stayed one night at my house, <laughs> and so I have Ray Capo in my room. I'm like 15. My parents were wondering why these adult men. <laughs> are like, you know, staying at our place and like, uh, they, you know, they slept in our garage, but like, I remember Ray Capo was like going through my records and he was, he was like, he, he looked at, uh, he's like, he pulled up my born against universal order of Armageddon's play. He's like, Oh, you like this? I go, <laughs> Hey, it's really good. That's awesome. And then, uh, like, uh, then like he saw that I had like a tape full of, uh, Simpsons episodes. He's like, Oh, Simpsons. I haven't watched Simpsons in forever. I was like, you want to watch it? So it was just me and Ray Capo watching Simpsons on my bed. Um, and I remember that I woke up the next morning and it's like I went outside and he was like doing push-ups next to our pool. Just uh, 
push-ups I, and yoga. I was like, yeah, this all this all makes sense. I think if that had happened to me, I would have died. Like, I mean, I literally wouldn't have been able to take it. It would have been just too much at it 15. Was, it it would have melted my brain. It was really weird. Yeah. It was really weird. And then, like, they wanted to camp at the beach nearby, <laughs> but it was, like, too windy to set up the tent. And then they ended up, like, going to a hotel instead. And, like, it was just – it was just a weird – it was a weird thing. Like, you know, it just – like I was so intrigued by – you know, everyone – every time a mainland band, as we called them, anytime a mainland band came, it's like everyone wanted to hang out with them. Everyone wanted to, you know, see what it was like to be a part of like a, a larger scene. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's like – Grapefruit was always that, that band uh, too. It's like a band would come and like Green Day would come and then like Grapefruit would take them out surfing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Descendants just played uh, two nights ago in Hawaii – and grapefruit took him out surfing. It's just like the thing. <laughs> it's the the rites of passage, uh, passage in uh, um, in Hawaii. But it's uh, yeah, like that was like that was a weird time. Like hardcore bands were coming, but the shows were getting canceled left and right. Venues would close. Venues would you know go back on their word. Um, that's and that's what happened with uh, when when Quicksand was supposed to play. Yeah, the the and this is like one of because it was at a time when Quicksand wasn't playing that much or like no. It was like a real. It was like I don't know. Were they doing a? Jam, was the story? Was they supposed to just come to Hawaii and do one show? Do you know? Or I think it was. I think it was that. I mean, that was like our big. That was anyone who tried to book a show in Hawaii. That was the big uh, sell. It's like, hey, come play a show in Hawaii. We'll do our best to make your money back. But if anything, you have a ton of people that will take you anywhere, show you around, show you a good time. Yeah. You know, that's like that was like uh, when the band Sicko came to town. Like they were just like they're like we're here for a vacation. We're gonna play a show every night. Uh, we, we don't care where they did like an, they did a record store. They did a coffee shop. They did an actual venue, and then like the whole and like and then they just like went surfing and hiking. That was like they treated it like a vacation, as you should. Same as yeah. Chaka did the same thing um, when they came. It's just they they use it as a as a way just to take a trip and then you know try and make some money back by playing a gig. I think there's there's bands that do that. Like you know, I've, I've, there's definitely bands that I know where like every day they get up and they're like, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this like trip to this museum, and then I'm going to hike here and, and eat here." Yeah, I mean, it's a good way to you know not go crazy on the road. Is to you know when I when I've done comedy on the road, it's like you got to find something to do, or else you're just sitting in a hotel room all day waiting for this one burst of energy you got to have at night, and then your you know your adrenaline levels are not used to this sudden burst of energy, and then you got to fucking drink or smoke to like get yep. it back down. Yeah, it's you know you can. So if you have this, uh, I think if you have this thing, it's like oh well, I have that thing I want to do tomorrow. It gives you a sense of uh, uh, you know structure. I don't know. I find it so hard to muster up the energy when you're on the road to do that. But like it is like you definitely feel rewarded for it at the end of the day when you did it. Yes. Yeah. It's just like you do, I mean there's the, the, the last thing you really want when on the road is like rushing to go to the gig. <laughs> yeah. It's like you don't want to like take too long doing something and then like ah, I got to get to the gig because it's like and then like you're you're off. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it kind of takes the fun out of the gig. Well, you know, you bring up the gig, and I, I want to bring up your main gig, um, which is when did you start getting into comedy and doing comedy? Um, when I, so the, I guess, like the very early live comedy performance started when I was in that straight edge hardcore band, Thirty Six Chambers. Um, they were all the other guys in the band were very politically aware and active, and they were all vegan. They were all straight edge, but they're all based, you know, very like politically minded. So uh, they you would hand out lyric sheets. There was like uh, parental rights. You know, we had PETA posters. We, you know, 
all kinds of uh, literature that would be, you know, tossed out. And I, yeah. it was for a 15 year old kid, it was a bit too heavy. <laughs> it was a little heavy. I mean, I, you know, I appreciate it now because I learned a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it was like, I was like, I, and especially because it's like the, everything was, I loved playing drums. I loved playing like thrashy drums, like crazy beats and breaks and breakdowns and, and stuff like that. Blast beats. Like I, I loved it. But at the same time, I was also, aesthetically or like, you know, totally my personality was more like, it's like, let me listen to screeching weasel. <laughs> I just, you know, like I just want to, I just want to make some jokes and have fun. And so I started doing, um, like one of the guys, Raph Dongen, he was really into the last poets, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. radical, uh, slam poetry group from the seventies. And they, um, they, I, I, he would always listen to him. I was way into him cause I just, I was like, I was so enthralled by it. So I started doing parodies of their, of their poems. I would start like, uh, I, I started just get, getting a bongo out and then doing like uh, slam poetry that were just basically comedic uh, poems about being like a fat white kid in Hawaii. Okay. And being nerdy. Um, and, uh, and so I started doing those after our sets to kind of lighten the mood after the intensity. And that was probably like when I, I, I was, I realized I was like, Oh, this is the thing I really liked the whole time. Like I was always obsessed with comedy and I always loved all the stuff, but it was it was like that that kind of moment where I was like, oh wow, I'm I'm actually doing kind of doing a version of that thing I've always liked and wanted to do. <laughs> so and, like, oh, sorry, go yeah. on. Sorry to me. Oh, but like, but in uh in in Hawaii, the the comedy there is very specific. It's very local. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's all like very racially based jokes of like, oh, what the Portuguese guy do when he said, uh, you know. Uh, check out the dead bird. Guy looked up in the sky. Said, "Where? Where did dead bird stay?" I mean, that would kill in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. That's like that's hilarious. Yeah, and yeah. it's but it's like the kind of comedy I liked was not that at all, you yeah. know. And so I kind of was like, "Well, I really, I think I really want to do comedy, so I'm going to have to go to the mainland." And that's uh, that's like when I that's when I left Hawaii. So, who were your big comic influences then? Like, I mean, you've talked about Steve Martin, obviously. Um, oh, of course, yeah. But the, but like stand up wise, like who were you kind of like you know? I, I, were there like I guess not local comics, but were you seeing like comedy specials on Comedy Central type thing? Or yeah, I was watching Comedy Central, like you know, like obsessively. And the thing is, I never really intended to get into stand up. I just wanted to be in comedy. I mean, my comedy heroes were uh, you know Mel Brooks and and Weird Al and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, like the show Mystery Science Theater, like these are all things that like that, like, you know, Mr. Show. I loved Mr. Show. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, I was obsessed with Kids in the Hall. It was, it was mainly I, I liked comedy. I liked sketch. I like performing that kind of stuff. I And being from bands, I never really thought that I could. I was like, I was like, oh, I'll be a guy in a sketch group or I'll be in some kind of, you know, ensemble. I, I was never really a solo thinking person. And when I got to LA, you know, I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So the only way to do comedy was to just, you know, essentially just do it by myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, like, so, you know, like as far as like influences and people I loved, I mean, like I, uh, as I started doing more stand up, like I kind of like, I knew what I liked, but I, you know, I used to listen to, you know, like, it's just, I, I loved all those guys, like all the, like, you know, David Cross, Patton Oswalt, stuff like that. So, well, so because you mentioned a specific, uh, there's two things I want to talk about that you brought up kind of in the last little thing. And it's, it's like almost like an us versus them type thing in both cases. One is like, you talked about like liking Screeching Weasel. And then mm-hmm. earlier you kind of like, you know, said that you weren't as much a fan of like the, the, the 
you know, the Pennywise, no effects stuff. And it's almost like you see that in people. There's like this like lookout kid versus epifat kid. Like, <laughs> exactly. You know, and like what side do you fall on? I, f- I fell real hard on uh, on lookout. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is funny because that's, I think, would be like a lot of kids that would gravitate more to the types of hardcore that we're talking about. Like, you know, the uh, certainly the um, the the um, uh, the bands that we're talking about, like, uh, you know, Unwound and, and Q Not You and sort of like the more esoteric kind of take, even like even like Dillinger 4 and stuff, I think is much more in line, even though Dillinger 4 winds up on fat with that kind of lookout side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, lookout, you know, they, they, they had a lot of different stuff. I mean, they also had, you know, bands like rice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on their catalog and, and neurosis you know, and neurosis. Yeah. Like they did, they, they spanned a little more than, you know, than uh, epitaph eventually like, you know, became a more rounded uh, label, especially with anti, you know, um, but and and fat kind of like sticks to what it does. I mean, but it's like look at. I always felt like a kind of a kinship, and I also liked the aesthetic of it, and I liked mm-hmm. the uh, the the look and feel of the records and the logo and the bands that were on it. It just it, it felt more fun. It, it it spoke to me more than yeah those other ones it, for it, sure. It, and, but and, then also like I was a huge Victory fan, which is also the fat record the, hardcore. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best name script I've ever heard. Uh, I, and I would say that's not an, all an insult, too. It's a little bit like no, you know, no. They they had a thing, you know. Yeah, and they have a, you have a thing, and it it works, and you you kind of do it, and then you know, I think uh, victory now bears very little resemblance to victory. Oh no, yeah, I know. Victory <laughs> now has more in common with uh, MCA records of the early two thousands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there was that point though with victory where you did have the outlier. In high fi and the road burners, yeah, that was they, that was really weird that they had high fi and the road burners. Uh, <laughs> but you know, with Victory, I was you know I loved I liked Strife a lot, and I loved Earth Crisis mainly the uh, the first album, Destroy the Machines or yeah. Kill the Machines, Dest- uh, Destroy the Machines, Destroy the Machines. Like I, I love you know New Ethic was my jam, um, and I like them because yeah, it yeah. ends though. That's my my favorite Earth Crisis song. Yeah, my friend Bobby, that's like his, that's, that's his jam. And like, uh, but I also, you know, but I also liked how kind of like, you know, cause for alarm. I thought was like, that was like kind of like a, you know, nice punky hardcore yeah. stuff. And, yeah. um, Warzone, of course. Warzone. I never got in, as into Warzone because of like the, I never really dug, rest in peace. I never really dug Rabies' uh, uh, vocals oh, too much. Sacrilege, but I, I will let, I will let it stand. We, we I know, <laughs> we're I know. Safe to, um, I, when, I, when I can say I don't enjoy the clash on this program, I consider it a safe place to have dissenting opinions on all subjects. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing is everyone's, you're supposed to love, you're supposed to love Warzone because like, it's like, dude, they've been around forever. I go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, you know, like, but then like, you know, they kind of with, then they, I love the noisier stuff they put out too, like Dead Guy and mm-hmm. Snapcase and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, no, they definitely like it's a you know like, and this is you know talk about dissenting opinions. I will always argue that I think Rev is like an incredible label, and like you know certainly like put out probably like my more favorite hardcore records. Mm-hmm. But I think Victory is almost like the more interesting of the two because the sounds they put out is a lot more diverse. Like it's a lot more weirder, even though we just said they were the fat records <laughs> of of hardcore. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, you know, Victory started a world label. Yeah, like they had a, they yeah. had a like an imprint of a world label. I mean, they did 
they did do their best to like you know uh, diversify. Unlike Rev, but like Rev had, I mean, Start Today is one of the all time best, like not even hardcore punk rock records, rock records. I think I, I like Start Today is one of my all time favorite records. Yeah, and like um, all like the like obviously Youth of Today, and I will say Warzone for me definitely, and like you know Chain of Strength, like <laughs> oh yeah, Chain of Strength was great. <laughs> so Chain like, of Strength is underrated when it comes to that stuff. I, I like, and that was like such a fun era of hardcore where it's uh, it was so easy to get into other hardcore bands because you could just look at the cover of these albums and see what other shirts are in the crowd. <laughs> exactly, that's how yeah. I got into Dag Nasty. There was a kid wearing a Dag Nasty shirt in a in a some record, and I was like, oh, I wonder who that is. <laughs> It was like you were safe to do that until the strike shirts started popping up in Papa Roach videos. Because I imagine, yeah, you know, that was when things got a little weird. If you were a Papa Roach fan, you probably wouldn't be that into strife. Maybe yeah. you would be. <laughs> yeah, you never know. It's like it's always like I was. I actually was practicing with my new band last night, and we were talking about like we like went into like a riff, and we're like, ah, it's a little alt rocky, and then uh, and then everyone's like, it's a fine line. I said sometimes that fine line is just intent. Yes, it's like you can have a, like a chord progression. It's like it could be the exact same, and it could be <laughs> shitty or good. It's just the intent behind it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Very well said. Very well said. Well, the other difference I wanted to talk to you about is you know you you brought up this like you know when you're talking about your comedic influences, I almost kind of knew not what they'd be before you said them, but there's almost like this like type of comedy that it feels like uh, or a, a sense of humor that a lot of us seem to have in the specific type of hardcore, like DIY hardcore. And it's like, you know, the kids in the hall, the Mr. Shows, the, uh, you know, like the, uh, Ben Stiller show, like the, yeah. the like there's just like, there's just like, you know, Janine Garofalo, like there's these types of comedians that we all, you know, seem to gravitate towards, you know, and I'm putting now you're like in that canon as well. Oh, you know? that, that's crazy. Well, no, but, but like, but it's true. Like, and it's funny how there's like a, it's almost like not only is there a collective, taste in music it's almost like that music aesthetic applies to comedy as well yeah no i mean you know and that that that's happened before with you know with bands and and comics like in the 70s you know there was there was always that connection between you know like cheech and chong and and you know like cheech and chong and richard pryor mm -hmm. and jj walker and steve martin i mean they were all playing shows at the troubadour too they mm -hmm. all hung out like they all like and the bands are playing the troubadour were like you know proto eagles and and um and uh i'm forgetting some names of like bands that were from that era over there but you know harry nielsen like they all kind of knew each other it was all just you know similar aesthetics it's just kind of it's just where you where you want to speak your mind but it's a very similar people yeah but I it's think. funny like, and i don't want to talk because like you might be friends with some of these comics and talk to you but like it's not like you have you know, the, it's not like there. It's like a propensity for like Family Guy and Dane Cook fans. In yeah, you know, in, when I first when I first started doing comedy, I thought everyone, like you know, I was like, okay, what's what's the big comedy to me? And it's you know, Kiss in the Hall, who had the soundtrack from their movie <laughs> and one of the best like indie rock compilations of all time yep. for Frank Candy. Yep, it's all on Matador Records. It's incredible. It's an incredible soundtrack. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, and then you got like Mr. Show, you see David Cross wearing a super chunk shirt. You're like, Oh my God, he, he's on this hilarious show and he likes super chunk. This is crazy. Um, and then so when I got to LA to start doing comedy, I kind of thought, Oh, if people like this comedy, they're also going to like these bands. And yeah. that wasn't really the case. I, when I first started doing open mics, it was, a uh, you know, I was hanging out with like 
these Harvard guys. It was Dan Mintz, who's now the voice of Tina on Bob's Burgers, mm-hmm. and uh, BJ Novak went on to be in The Office. And uh, Danny, uh, Danny, um, who went on to be, uh, he's a, like the sh- head writer on um, uh, Master of None. So they kind of all did okay. They all, they all, they all you guys, all, you guys Har- all kind of did Don't okay. Don't worry, everybody. The kids from Harvard did just fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you, I, suppose like, I suppose like that's like if you're like graduating Harvard and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go into comedy. That's like a, you know, obviously a lot of great comedians and, and comic writers have come out of Harvard, but I still imagine that it's like a really, that's what you're going to do now after, <laughs> after all this. Yeah, after all, like getting into Harvard, you yeah, can, get into yeah, Harvard. Sure, all right, well, go take over the industry. <laughs> yeah, go, go, go. Yeah, I guess that's true. They did, they still managed to, to, to win. So. <laughs> But I, you know, but with the thing with them, uh, it's like I kind of like I was like, oh, these guys, like they, they're 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 college kids, and they went to Harvard. And yeah, they, you know, I didn't I didn't even go to college. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like you know, so I I quickly found out that it's not the same, and I it was kind of isolating feeling. Mm-hmm. That I was like, you know, but, uh, but but you brought up like David Cross, and you brought Kids in the Hall up. <clears throat> Uh, Scott Thompson's been on this show, like legit, oh, wow. legit punk rock hardcore kid. Uh, and, and David Cross has been on the show. And have you ever seen this footage from Atlanta where it's like RuPaul's band, RuPaul and the U-Hauls playing, and and David Cross is hanging out with them backstage because his first. Oh, I heard show. about that. I heard about that. We talk about it on the episode, so it's like it's funny because like you're gravitating to these comics and and like. You know, like it, the best show, Tom Sharpling and like all these people that yeah. are like, you know, John Worcester, like there's this, it's, it feels like there's this weird connection between a certain type of comedy and a certain branch of music. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree. And like it, it's, it does, you don't need it, but it's, 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 there is like an aesthetic there mm-hmm. um, of just the kind of the idea of, like if you like this, then you're probably gonna like this. Yeah, and it's nothing you can really put your finger on. It's just the uh, you know again, it's that it's that radio show from St. Louis and the jerk. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like you know, we were talking about comedians with great taste in music and the connection of '70s comics to music in the '70s. Sherman Helmsley, like that to me is the all-time great. His love of prog rock, yeah, is <laughs> truly. <laughs> Mind blowing, and to me, like the great comic music connection is right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you got Bill Hicks on the inside jacket of a Tool album. Yep, yep. It's uh, um, you know, it's there is always that weird kind of connection of stuff. It's uh, it's it's so hard to like, you know, you never know if it's going to happen. Uh, but it it's really cool when it does. I mean, that was always like, like, like I love I love that I'm like friends with like bands now like mm-hmm. it, like to me it's like it's it's so fun to like and it feels so cool it's like it's always it's like what i wanted i wanted i wanted to be like you know in comedy and friends with like bands that i also liked and they liked me it was it's just like there's no better feeling than that well you know you say you've just become friends with people in bands jonah but you and i both know that's not true because you made friends with a certain walter schreifels way back when <laughs> and dude i could talk to you forever but I don't want to keep you too long today, and I know we got to talk on this story <laughs> before I let you go. <laughs> which is, uh, do, you, do you want to talk about the quicksand uh, comes to Hawaii story? Because I brought sure. it up to Walter, and Walter definitely has very fond memories of you taking him and showing him around. 
I, you know what? I want to, I kind of want to call bullshit. I want to imagine that he's just being nice and saying he remembers. I'm sure he remembers going to Hawaii and being shown around by some fat kid with glasses. Yeah. Well, that's uh, probably, but, but that, but he, but probably, I don't know. I, he knew that it was you. Like I was like Jonah Ray. So he's probably put it together. Someone helped him put it together that, oh, that's the Jonah Ray that showed you around way back when, because he definitely knew off the top who connected the dots. So. You know, wow, I'm not that's gonna, crazy. I'm, uh, yeah, like, like again, like you know, he wrote he wrote start today, and uh, <laughs> it's it's like, uh, and I you know, get, don't get me wrong, I also huge huge quicksand fan, love rival schools. Uh, his solo stuff is great. Like you know, youth of today is awesome. But like, there's nothing better to me than start today, and like uh, the fact that he even knows my name. Like when I was showing him around, I like I just like. I was like just so in awe of him because he was so mellow and he was so fucking funny. Yeah. He is really one of the funniest people. And like just like so cool and like just Mm -hmm. like kind of like doesn't give a shit in the best way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny because like we were – I was driving the guys in the band around. The show was canceled so they just kind of were just killing time and having fun being in Hawaii and – like uh, like we, I take them to this one beach, and the guys are like, "Oh wow!" And they're taking pictures and they're walk, walking around, and then I take them to this uh, other area on the other side of the island, um, where it's kind of like a lookout area, and it's you know more ocean. And like, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. It was just like, "So what is this? Like just more water? <laughs> just another beach? Just the same? Is it the same water as there was on the other side?" <laughs> And he like he like just was just like just so like me. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. He's, he's like, no, I, I don't, I don't care. I, like, it was just like he was just giving the other guys a hard time. He's he is like, yeah, like I think you you hit the nail on the head with his like. He's got a really dry sense of humor, but it is like the he's such a funny guy, like a really and also but like dry, not in a, that he's a a jerk. Like you said, he's like a very like I don't know, like you're just a kid hanging out with someone like that. And I I suppose like you know both of these experiences would have you know, killed me as a kid, like hanging out with Ray Capo and hanging out with Walter at 15. I'm glad I didn't get to do either of those things till I was old enough and had the, <laughs> had the tools to handle the experiences. I remember even like we were driving around and I was listening to, I think, um, uh, I was listening to, uh, Jersey's best dancers by lifetime and Ray Capo was just going like, Oh, Oh, this guy sounds so whiny. This guy, <laughs> I hate this way. This guy sings. I was like, oh, I really like this record. <laughs> Wait, Ray Cap was complaining about someone's voice sounding a little whiny. Kind of wow. I mean, this is fucking like listen to the like last two or three Shelter albums. You want to? Like, oh, yeah, uh, like he mantra. only uses sex for love. <laughs> that was immediately where my mind went to. Like right yeah. to that line. <laughs> it's all. Uh, we forgot also in our rundown of the greatest Victory Records releases to shout out Baby Gopal. Oh, Baby Gopal, yeah. <laughs> They're pop punk oh, contributions. Donuts. Uh, donuts. Um, you know what's so funny? Going back to that thing, it's like I think the thing that made me go, oh, victory is not that cool is like how much me and my friends got into uh, Charles Bronson. And Charles yeah. Bronson hated <laughs> Victory yeah. Records and would prank call them <laughs> on their records. So I was like, yeah, they suck. It's all, it's all – when it comes to Chicago hardcore, it's Charles Bronson, Los Crudos. Yeah, power violence. (laughs) Well, that was the thing. Like Charles Bronson, yeah, like they they were responsible for a huge swath of hardcore just being like, oh, Victory's not cool. Yeah. Like they were really like the first band that like with that prank phone call to the Bulldog store. Also putting out the One Life Crew record, I think, also alienated a certain segment of hardcore too. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, uh, Jonah Bayer, 
Yep, he's he's friends with those guys. Oh no, he's been on the show. I I I after he was he did that article, I was like, I have to have you on the show, and it's like, it's hilarious because he's like fifteen hanging out with the One Life crew. Yeah, and like it's like it's like a, you can't blame him because like well, you don't know you're just a kid you don't know they're just yeah. terribly like nationalistic uh, racist. Well, you're like this like these this must be the punk scene. These are these these older people that are in bands that are signed to labels. But it's funny also like Mark McCoy is another person that has a razor sharp wit that could probably make a a run as a comedy writer. Oh, I I totally agree. Um. Also, Sam McFeeders, who lives like yep. uh, like in Azusa now, I think, or somewhere like that east east of LA. Um, you know, he's like a guy that like he he just I feel like he can just start like he should just start like like making shorts and stuff like that. Like really, like he has in the past. Like uh, <laughs> my band actually got to open up for Men's Recovery Project and Bastard Noise at the PCH Club in two thousand. Whoa! Yeah, and like uh, he showed this like short of like where it was like it was like an old it felt like an old reel. Of like it's like when humans existed, and it was just this hilarious sketch essentially. And I was like, I was like, man, I wish that guy would just make more stuff like that. Eric Wareheim used to do that too. Like he would make like, like, like tapes. Like I remember like someone telling me that about seeing some tape that like the guy from Ink and Dagger had shown him. That was like a comedy tape that they had made. Oh, that's awesome. Um, back then, but yeah, like I guess it was like you know, and I guess Chunklet did it too for a while in the early two thousand. Yeah, like these sort of DIY comedy videos yeah yeah like yeah henry was uh i mean i think henry henry's doing stand-up now with his wife i think henry owings whoa together yeah i think that like i did a show in atlanta last time i was down there and like him and his wife did a set together and it was like kind of just like storytelling and bouncing they're they're you know they're just kind of bouncing stories off each other it was, it was a fun set that's awesome oh i gotta see that you know i love henry and like certainly you know that's another person who's who's you know kind of like role especially at south by southwest in merging kind of music and comedy in a in a more kind of concrete way in the last few years yeah yeah i was on a tour that uh he put together a bunch of shows in the south for in 2007 a comedy tour and we got to play the bottle tree in uh alabama Oh, and it was like I was like so excited because yeah. I was like I get to meet a guy from Men's Re- or from a Manor Astro Man, and he was like the coolest guy. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, and he put out Manor Astro Man records too, right? There's a yeah, a yeah, yeah exactly. Manor Astro Man record too. So, uh, well, as I say, Jonah, I could punish you all day, but I've taken up more than enough of your time today. Can we can we do this again, dude? I will I will force you yeah. to that. I will I will hold you to that, my friend. The fans are screaming, "No, please, God, don't!" Dude, uh, at their at their devices right now. But I'd love to come. Well, here I have chatting. here I have uh, you know the the man of hidden American fame, uh, the man of <laughs> of a mystery science theater three thousand fame, and, and now the man of talking about Hawaiian stuff from the nineties <laughs> fame. <laughs> no, it's amazing. You've done everything in comedy, and here I am uh, forcing you to talk about <laughs> this punk stuff. But that's what this show is. No, that's all That's all I want. Don't you understand? That's why I started a new band, just so I have guys to talk about punk stuff with. Well, that's awesome. And I, was, and I, and I was not kidding. You were one of the nicest people I've ever gotten to meet in this oh, horrible, thanks, horrible industry. And uh, <laughs> I really do. Thank you for your time, buddy. Thanks you. Thanks you. What the fuck? I, I did a pretty good job with the rest of the words. <laughs> no, that was like endearing. I was like, thanks you. That's like the sweetest sign off anyone's ever given me on this show. If I ha- it would have to be said more like, thanks you. Thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you, Jonah, for coming on the show. Now, Jonah will be back uh, on the show for many more in the future. I hope to have Jonah involved a lot because that was a lot of fun getting to talk to him and uh, getting, a, getting a nerd out about this stuff. I want to have Jonah and Walter reconnect. And uh, for the sake of uh, for uh, my sanity, maybe in Hawaii with me. You know, that'd be a great little vacation we could all take together. But no, no, we will uh, we'll probably do, hopefully do it on the airways here at some point. You know, that's just a brainstorm I'm having right now um, as, I, uh, as I think about what I have to do. Um, so uh, next week on the show, um, I'm working on something um, and I want to have someone on um, that I'm just trying to figure it all out for. It's someone that I want to have on because... Uh, she's awesome, and I'm just trying to figure it if I can get it all figured out. So tune in to Turn Out a Bunk Footnotes to find out who the guest is this week on the show um, because it's going to be uh, a good one, and I just don't have uh, time to figure out everything right this second. So tune in to Turn Out a Bunk uh, Footnotes this week. Uh, hopefully, Chris, you're hearing this and you want to do a show this week because we can be back. And uh, then I will reveal on that show who the guest is. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, once again, please uh, get in touch with me. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. Rate it. Re- write a review for it. And I will see you next week. Bye. <laughs>